Hey, what's up, guys? Welcome to about real estate podcast. Today we got special guest James Tran, and we're going to talk about real estate investing and valuation. Coming from a background, James is appraiser, investor, and a realtor, and we're going to talk about how he got started, how's everything going, and what's his uh, future plans. So to introduce James, James has been in the commercial real estate since 2005. Man, he's been honing his expertise in property valuations, appraisals, sales, and investing. As the CEO of JT Real Estate Services, James has become an experienced negotiator and veteran real estate analyst, having participated in real estate deals with values up to $40 million. Uh, he also serves as an investment advisor and consults and partners with his clients in real estate investing deals. So we're excited to have you on, James, and learn more. Hey, thanks for having me, Matthew. I'm excited to be here. Cool. Tell us about yourself. Um, how did you get started in real estate? Uh, so I started in real estate in undergrad. I actually interned for a real estate developer. And you know we were talking about earlier syndications. They were syndicating large apartment deals, 200, 300 unit deals in uh, Southern California, Arizona, and Texas. Um, I got started on their marketing team. Yeah, you know, I was uh, picking up uh, picking up calls. They put out radio ads for uh, the uh, for the homes that they were selling. So they um, they took these large 200 300 unit complexes and converted them to condos. They're doing condo conversions, and I was responding to potential home buyers uh, as their calls would flood in after these ads. So that was my first uh, first exposure into real estate, really, and uh, you know, from my what I saw happened at that company and you know all the money that was being made and how fun everything was uh, that's uh, that's when I got hooked and decided to head towards uh, real estate mm -hmm. nice so what what made you from going to that route and going to marketing what made you decide to become a uh, appraiser uh, actually the so the two the CEO and the COO of that real estate development company they were former appraisers for 20 30 years and so I decided to follow in their footsteps um, I decided I was going to learn, become an appraiser in order to learn all the, the valuation techniques for every type of property to equip me in the future for, uh, you know, when I was ready to, to start investing myself. Yeah. That's a good way to put it, too, because, um, you know, being a, for example, being a real estate agent versus being an appraiser are completely not exactly the same. We don't always see eye to eye in terms of like appraisal <laughs> values versus sales values and current market of people overbidding. It doesn't always align, you know? Yeah. So that's yeah. tricky, and you know, as an agent, like, hey, come on, appraiser, raise the price up because that's, this is what the market's paying. But you have to justify that too. How does that compare to the market, right? Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. I, I see both sides of the coin. Uh, on the appraisal side, you know, I, I, well, I only do commercial. Uh, so five, I'll do multifamily, five units and up, occasional fourplex. But um, so that's the, the the angle that I'm working on. So I'm not dealing so much with the the residential side where you're seeing all this overbidding happening. Yeah. So, I could definitely, when I'm working with clients, still uh, still empathize with the the appraiser and what they're you know they're trying to find comps to justify this number, and you know trying to cover them themselves and make sure they're doing everything by the book. At the same time, you know, I, if I were in their shoes, I'd know that these uh, the market's just going, uh, it's, it's getting crazy, and you know in a rising market, it's hard to find comps when you're looking backwards to support a current purchase price sometimes. So. Yeah, so how do you justify that value? And even for commercial real estate, five plus units, how do you guys justify the values? Uh, so most, so it really depends on the property type. So if we're talking multifamily, like five plus units, that's, uh, it all starts with who's going to buy that property, the most probable buyer. And, you know, it's going to be an investor. So how do they, 
justify the value. We're as appraisers, we're mirroring uh, the most uh, probable buyer and the techniques that they're using. So, um, yeah, for for an apartment, we would. Uh, it's all about the rents and the the income, and uh, so rents minus minus expenses and applying a, a cap rate. That'd be the primary way for that. But you know, if we're looking at a industrial building that's uh, vacant and in Southern California, uh, a smaller one, the most probable buyer in that case is the owner user. So we're going to be valuing that one uh, similar to how we value a single family residence with the comparable sales. So it's like a different hat for every type of property and whether it's leased or not leased <laughs> always changes. Yeah. That's actually a good thing too, because um, for example, you know how you mentioned the background of developers being appraisers and then going into syndications. It's kind of cool because you have a different kind of eye in seeing these properties, values, knowing the numbers, and also because you analyze so many properties in specific areas that you can say, hey, this is actually a good deal. This is why it makes sense. This is how we can underwrite it. And this is how we could potentially um, purchase it and resell it or you know add value to the property. So it's kind of nice to see that too. And you have a different perspective. Like for me, I came in as a background as first starting buying real estate when I was 24 in San Francisco, then I became an agent and then I became a lender and then 1031 exchanges. I utilized those kind of services. I never got into appraisals. I just, I like it, but I was like, uh, just different kind of animal. I'd rather just stay on the side of things, but it's you know good to have different perspectives to buy real estate and invest and being at the forefront the most is actually advantageous to help ourselves, to help our clients to do that. So you created your company too, right? It's called um, JT Real Estate Services. Yep, yeah. So so you, um, I guess you had, was that a brokerage as well before? Uh, what was that? Was that a brokerage as well? Uh, yeah. So it's, um, yeah, it's full, full service real estate company. It started off as a, a you know, brokerage and appraisal company. And, uh, now, you know, my license is hung with, uh, EXP. I'm a broker associate there. Maybe started with them, uh, October of last year after seeing, uh, what they had to offer. And, um, you know, it's a lot of administrative and, administrative stuff to keep up with when running your own brokerage so decided to offload that and uh, benefit from all the exp has to offer nice yeah it's a great way to um kind of get rid of your you know you know your uh, workers comp liabilities and focus on uh, being a broker associate and running a team and going uh global right it's an easier way to do it rather than doing everything yourself because you can focus back on your clientele your primary services rather than on back-end operations of things I like that too because I ran my own brokerage as well, and it was just so much easier now. So it's a lot of fun. Yeah. So right now you're in um you're in Pasadena right now, right? Yep. Yeah. What do you guys primarily invest in? Um. So I, I wouldn't say I had a primary space. I've uh, so I've done some flips out of state in Oklahoma. Uh, I've flipped here locally in Southern California, and. Um, yeah, I had had some small multi in, in Southern California as well, and now invested in Columbus, Ohio. Um, got a portfolio out there of uh, uh, apartments, but um, yeah, some kind of all over the place. Uh, yeah, wherever wherever there's an opportunity, and uh, yeah. Let's talk about that too, because you know how, you know, you look at opportunities. So it's not location specific, it's property specific, opportunity specific, which is great. Um, how did you come along going from those different types, like small, uh, small homes, multifamilies to going to a big multi-unit in Columbus? How did that all get started? Yeah. So, well, so, you know, all along from the beginning, I knew that I was going to be an, an investor. It's the whole reason I got into an, an appraisal. So at a certain point, it, it did take a lot of the courage to build up to start doing that first deal. And my first 
property uh, was a, a fourplex in uh, here in a town called San Pedro. It's a part of uh, Los Angeles. And uh, you know, kind of cut my teeth on that that property. Owned that for three, four years. I had uh, it, was, it was like a Class C type of uh, area and, and property. So I had the Section Eight tenants. I had uh, you know, drug dealers, and yeah, I got, got that experience as self managing as well. The property was forty five minutes away from me, but it, I found that it took it took a lot of energy. Even though uh, you know it's just four units. Uh, but I think I was, I was at the time I was working you know, full time as an appraiser. Um, I was actually doing like eighty to hundred hour a week, so it was it was just uh, intense. And I, I decided to after two years of uh, getting that self management experience and that exposure, I offloaded that to a, a management company. And I think there, maybe during that time, I got a little little uh, sidetrack. You know, the, the flipping shows came on TV, and it. <laughs> started appealing to me. I'm like, hey, why don't I try one of these? And um, yeah, actually uh, some opportunities came up out, out of state in Oklahoma with my, um, you know, my sister's ex-boyfriend at the time. So his uncle lived out there and there were some, some, uh, some deals that came about and he asked us if we wanted to, to go in on them. So I was like, sure, you know, I, so I actually, this is during a stint of time, I um, left the appraisal company I was with and I flew out there and yeah, was doing everything with with our hands. Yeah, I was removing wallpaper, painting, all that stuff, just to get that ground up experience. That was that was pretty cool. Um, it's a lot of hard work. It's harder than it seems. You know, it looks easy, but just a lot of energy to do it, right? Yeah, yeah, it, and it gave me gave me like an appreciation for you know contractors and what what goes into that. But I, I think that that experience really you know it, it helped me to see the price of everything and what late. You know how much effort really goes into doing uh, different parts of, of a renovation. So you know when when you're pricing things out now, you get a better idea if you know some you're getting uh, like overcharged or not by, by a contractor. Yeah, it's yeah. definitely a great skill to have, especially like when I started remodeling, physically remodeling houses. That was a lot of work. I was like, damn, this like it hurts, it stinks, it's dirty, and I'm, I have to take a shower every single minute after this, and it is but. It's rewarding to know how, like now you know exactly material costs, labor costs, time, intensity, and um, values, and is, is it worth it? And at the end of the day, when you sell it, does it make money? And you learn a lot from that too. So you start appreciating, and then you start seeing how good handyman workers are, contractors are, how quality they are, or what they actually miss and don't tell you, don't do, how they cheapen things sometimes, or how good right. quality they are and how accurate they are, right? Some guys are super meticulous, like, wow, you did it that way. You had lasers and everything, and you're perfectly aligned. And like, nice, I like that. Some guys just charge your arm and leg for nothing because they just try to market their services, right? Yeah. So you yeah. get to learn from all the all the sides of it, and you appreciate it more, and you know who to work with. And having a great team makes the most is the hardest part to find. Once you find the team, keep the team, keep you know rewarding them, helping them, and growing together, right? Right, right. So you yeah. went to Oklahoma, okay? And how was that? Um, those fix and flips, like how did it turn out? They're good. I mean, they, they, these were you know smaller properties. You know, at the time, you can buy them for. Uh, Anywhere from like thirty to fifty thousand dollars. That's like a bathroom here. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, <laughs> those are you know, smaller flips. You make like you know, uh, thirty, forty, uh, maybe fifty thousand on a on a flip over there if you're if you're lucky. Uh, but yeah, that market um, it, it, it's a market that doesn't really appreciate. Right, you can you can buy a home out there, a single family home, and you can get fifteen percent uh, cash on cash return 
but your 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 the value of the property is just you know over like ten years it just barely barely moves so. Um, so after you know the experience over there, I shifted my focus back to the to the fourplex I had here, and I'm like, okay, I need to go bigger. I need to really start pushing myself here. So I decided to sell that fourplex, and um, I, I did a 1031 exchange. And uh, actually, so the, this apartment uh, complex I have over in Columbus, it's uh, 70 units. It consists of uh, four properties along the same street. It's a portfolio, and uh, so I'm 50-50 with a, a partner, so a joint venture. This is actually a guy that uh, I went to high school with, and um, I ran into my bigger pockets. So it was, <laughs> nice. yeah, it was like kind of this this timing. And she did some some flips together, and uh, decided to he he flipped. So so I the, the equity I had built up in this this fourplex um, about four, like four hundred grand over the course of four like four years. He flipped a, a duplex down here in a city uh, called Glendale, and he was able to come out with the the same amount of capital. <laughs> Crazy. <laughs> So yeah, we uh, we went ten thirty one um, into this uh, seventy unit complex together. And Good. Yeah, that comfort was already there. Going going out of state with the you know, Oklahoma the flips, and uh, you know the, the valuation part. You know that's really comfortable with that. So I was just like, okay, let's do it. You know, we know the the, the cash flows out there in the Midwest. Um, yeah, it comes with its own uh, challenges going out of state, which you know you can cut your teeth <laughs> doing that. First so let's time. talk about that too. So for example, you have fix and flips, you have a four unit and you tend to exchange to a 70 unit. That's mm -hmm. what, you know, each of these are individually different, right? And it's kind of challenging and rewarding. So based on experience, for example, when you do a fix and flip, you're putting a lot of sweat equity into it. You're remodeling yourselves. You're working with people. You're trying to create, you're trying to add value into a property and you're, you're trying to do it really quickly. And at that, at that price point, you mentioned 30 K you yeah. probably need to do like five at a time, right? Rather than just one, you're doing like five at a time and you're trying to build equity into it, force equity, right? Yeah. On a four unit, you got it. You had some section eight, some difficult tenants, and now you're trying to add value over time, add value through, you know, appreciation, hopefully some remodeling work and raising rents to market rates. Um, but that takes, it's a different kind of skill, different kind of timing and values, right? But right. to be able to exchange that into a 70 unit and even with a partnership, that's really good because going from four to 70 are not the same. Four and 70 are by far different and doing it out of state as well is another challenge you're adding to it. Yeah, yeah. So what kind of complexity goes into all uh, these three different types that you see? Um, so uh, so yeah, I thought, I thought we were uh, ready well ready for the the 70 unit with with all the different um types of experience that we, we garnered in the past but uh the, so the what well, the, the challenge was on, on the 70 unit was really getting a good property manager uh, we ended up with a, after interviewing like five different uh, property managers these are all referrals from either the the broker we we're working with or other people in town uh that, that had property there and after interviewing all of them, we decided to go with one. And this this uh, this property manager, he um, he he didn't do uh, he didn't do it quite the sell, seller job. That's <laughs> <laughs> a lot of money. Uh, and you know the, the big big lesson I learned with this property manager or was yeah, pretty much you know fire fire sooner than than later. Yeah. The the property management contract we had with him was structured in such a way. 
that he uh, he he had an advantage. You know, he got he collected fees for um, collect dollar late fees fees for when he put the tenant in fees for evicting a tenant. So there was just the structure that encouraged um, churning of the units. You know, mm -hmm. put, put a qualified tenant in, collect that fee. A yeah. couple later, stop paying, evict them, and just a cycle. It took it took a little bit longer than it should have for us to to catch on to that, and even when we did, you know, we flew over there. We're like, we're gonna put his head on the chopping block. We're gonna get rid of this guy. Yeah, and he's just such a such a talker that he like sold us into like, you know, give me another chance. <laughs> so this went on for a few more months, and uh, yeah, it's a big lesson there. Just lost a lot of uh, money in the first uh, year, year and a half, uh, sticking around with that management company. Um, yeah, you gotta fire fast, and I think for me, like I take, I try to take the emotion sides out of things. I look at the financials. Basically, you just do an audit analysis on the P and Ls, and you look at how everything's running, and then you look at your contracts, and you see who who's advantageous for property manager or the owner. It should really be win win, right? Like everything we do to, is together. We win win together. It's not one sided, and if it is one sided, don't work with them. And there are some good property managers, even Columbus, Ohio. I actually uh, know some I can refer you to. You can always interview with the property managers, the lenders, and everything, see if it makes sense for your buildings. Um, but there are both sides of it because I also am a San Francisco property manager. Um, but it's really advantageous to my clients if you look at my contracts the way I write it because my end goal is client user experience in, in investing, building portfolios together. So my property manager is only based on investing with them to grow together, right? Yeah. But when you look at some, someone else's, like even other clients and other friends, like I feel bad for you. The way they structured it, it is so crappy for the owner. They're taking advantage of you. Like, why are they charging all these fees back in front? And then you look at the expenses, they're increasing cost on things that are like, hey, just for example, change this knob, change this thing, 150 bucks. Like, dude, that's like 10 minutes. I know you got to drive there and buy it, but at the same time, you're really charging this and you're going yeah. multiple trips, you know? Doesn't make yeah. sense, right? So as a when you're doing 70 units, it's a different approach, but you still look at the financials and see like how are they managing the building, right? And how are they trying to help you optimize the building, increase right. your value, right? Yeah. But you know, jumping into a 70 unit from a four unit is so different. And how do you guys handle even with a property manager? How do you guys handle the 70 units? How do how did the property manager manage the units, the leases, the vacancy control, the financials? So you guys are just becoming more of asset manager. Yeah. So, um, so this first management company we went with is more of a mom and pop type operation. Mm -hmm. um, we get our report uh, once once a month, but uh, you know, initially, is uh, when we just bought the property. The first like six months, we were getting our, our distribution. So, kind of took my my uh, you know taking responsibility, took my eye off the ball, and you know, wasn't monitoring the numbers, which is another. Another thing that uh, lesson learned from this. Um, so yeah, we'd only hear when there was something, uh, you know, something wrong with the property, or uh, he needed us to make a decision on uh, some large expense. Which after the first like six months, they started happening a lot. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the the current management company that we're with now, uh, I I think is probably more representative of how our property management company. Um, should operate. There's a you know regional manager. Uh, we have a, a on-site manager. So it's broken down into different different tiers instead of uh, a one-man show. And I, I don't know how the other guy kept up with everything managing. He managed, there's, yeah. there's no way. There's no way. Yeah, he you call him for like everything. I'm like, how are you even like getting you having time to get new business? So 
so this new, new company we're with, we have our weekly calls. We're looking at you know, metrics, uh, occupancy, we're looking at the collections, delinquency, and it's going over um, set um, set you know, points every every week, so we can keep an uh, keep an eye on the property and you know, before anything slips you know, for like a certain like for example, like water the water bill. There's you know, been leaks at the property where the the bill's been like gone sky high, but you know, being able to monitor uh, these numbers uh, during our weekly meetings and look at these, uh, we're able to catch that stuff before you know more we lose more money. Nice. So, yeah, that is the best way to do it because like when you start like this is an investment now, right? It's not just a property. It's not just seventy units. It's you know seventy families there, for example. But at the same time, you're trying to figure out as an owner how to optimize the building, increase values, reduce expenses. And for example, adding uh, rubs, your utilities, right? Services, um, chargebacks, and then any capital improvements and pass-throughs and just adding value to the unit itself and just um, slowly turning them as you need to increase it and get to you know a good performance number where they're still skinning in the game for the next person. But for your ability as investors, like how do I scale to the next one, right? How do I get to from 70 to 100 units? Or how do I take this cash flow and put it into another building nearby or in another state? So like how quickly can you do that? Because if you take this, even though it's a partnership um, to your, to you guys together, how do you bring this model into like a syndication model where you can go to another one, another one and use this experience to justify the next property you're going to jump into. Right. Right. It's always learning. Like everyone, even everyone, even if you've been in business 60 years, you're still going to learn every day. And every property is different. Oh yeah. Yeah. And <laughs> in Columbus is your roof, like a flat roof, a slope through for how's that in each building? Uh, uh, we have flat roofs on, on all of them. Yeah. Have you guys experienced snow for that one yet? Snow? Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. And yeah. yeah. how that, how did the roofs hold up for that year? Well, as far as I know, there's, there's still, uh, they're still there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Cause I, I was looking into that was when I was looking at Columbus and I'm actually born in Columbus. So I kind of familiar with some parts of it uh, still, but yeah, I was like looking at that. I was like, hmm, okay. I see some roofs. Most of them should be like this, but they're like flat. I'm like, how's that going to handle the snow and like you know, all the water, you know, and how are they managing it? But it's good to yeah. see what area yeah, of Columbus are you in? Some there. Uh, Northeast Columbus. So okay, Northeast Columbus, there's okay. D minus, uh, you know, D area. <laughs> so okay. more, more, uh, more prostitutes and drug dealers, right? <laughs> Hopefully you can turn it around. I think of one good example. Uh, one of these uh, big investors in the Bay Area mentioned to me, he goes, if you think about it and, you know, these homes, if you if you can build in the future, they're talking about like big scale, right? Not small scale. They're like, if you think about, think about this like Monopoly and you start, you uh, say you like areas for a specific reason and you start, you know, increasing values and buying properties in those areas, you can change the model. You can change the economics, right? At a high level, you can do it. I'm like, yeah, because you have hundreds of millions of dollars. We don't, right? We can't do that at a, at a small scale. I get it. That's kind of smart and nice because they started bringing in communities. Like they brought in the restaurants. They brought in all the shops. They brought in shopping malls. They brought in multi-units. And then you see the values drive up. I'm like, yeah, you brought in the whole town. So of course that would make sense. But yeah. if we're buying one property, that's completely different. You know, Why don't you just tell us about the property and we'll go buy with you? Yeah, yeah. No, I, I thought about that same thing for this this portfolio because it's in an area that's it's it's not so great of an area. There's not a lot of like good retail. You don't have like Starbucks in this area. And I was just really thinking like, how do you really change this, this area to increase the value? Because you know that that the idea definitely crossed my mind. Like, how to do the value add, but mm -hmm. 
I, I just didn't see like tenants paying another like hundred, two hundred dollars here um, for for granite countertops or like new newly renovated like bathrooms. So it was like, how do you bring that those? How do you change the area so that those type of tenants start coming into town? And yeah, I, I think it does start with the the retail and the amenities in the area bringing. Bringing, uh, bringing those people in, uh, large grocers, uh, name name brand grocers, and you know, what really drives you know pulls the population into to this area. But if you don't have that, it's like, well, you know, why would they want to go move there first? So yeah, I think you definitely need a lot of money to to, to change an area and bring it up. Yeah, I was actually talking to my cousin about that because he um he actually owns um shopping complexes in Columbus, Ohio. So oh. it's like, okay, well, if I buy a multi-unit in this area nearby, let's talk to you and your friends about putting up restaurants, uh, malls, and businesses, um, doctors, dentists, lawyers in the same complex and make this work so that way you create a small lo local community next door to the multi-unit, mm -hmm. you know, and then dry, start increasing the community space for them, make it more affordable, make it fun, um, and create business for each other, right? Like. That makes sense, you know. And like his his numbers are astounding. Like I think it was like you know how you get one percent rule. I think his is on two percent rule, based uh, on shop, shopping complexes. But it's only because he already had the connections to occupy all the units right away. Okay. So then without that, it'd be like it'd be less than one percent, right? Because you don't yeah. have those businesses who can afford it right off the bat. Right. Jumping right. in makes it so much easier for. And I think they're doing like restaurants, they're doing um, insurance companies and other businesses, but it's really good returns on their on their end yeah 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 shopping shopping malls definitely a different different animal in themselves like how, how you create value with with those having uh having you know the the right mixture of tenants they all have to be uh, synergistic right like you usually see a you donut shop uh right next to a laundromat right? a lot of times or <laughs> you start seeing the same type of nail salon and these shopping centers have the same services and uh you know, they they all draw on each other's uh, traffic in such a way. So having the right mixture, uh, make sure you don't pull in, uh, you know, like a, I don't know, like a cannabis store. Like it ends up like killing the whole whole vibe. Of the <laughs> yeah, I see that example uh, in Richmond District of San Francisco. There's a cannabis store next door to a preschool. I'm like, ah, oh, I feel bad for that preschool. They were there first. They didn't know next door would put a cannabis shop, and now yeah. I don't see anyone there anymore. I'm like, I feel bad for you. That's you know. Yeah. wasn't meant to be that way right but separate house separate buildings so i get it you can do whatever you want but yeah in shopping complexes you can create synergy and create alignment with different brands and businesses that work together and just join in together if you can find an open space to do that near your multi-unit that'd be really cool yeah so how does it feel now like how long have you guys owned a 70 unit uh it's been three years yeah three years? How's yeah. it been going? Like, I know the first part of it a little hard to get started because you're always trying to figure everything out and get onboarded to the building and get acquainted with everyone. But how's on year three now? How's it performing? So, yeah, right before the pandemic, we finally hit our stride. And, yeah, we had locked in this new management company. The systems were in. Everything was going well. And then the, the pandemic hit. I'm like, oh, shit. And, like, <laughs> and then, <laughs> of course, you know, uh, tenants had trouble paying, paying rent. Uh, Actually, towards I think the third third quarter is when we started seeing it more, because um, initially I think this, the first round of stimulus checks kept the the rent coming in, and a third quarter is when we started seeing more delinquencies, and so we're we're you know we're, we're going around Ohio. You can actually um, you know get a tenant out if you can 
uh, prove that they've uh, exhausted all their uh, resources. Well, they, they have to prove that they've exhausted all their resources. Uh, but by, the, by that time, you know, there's one resource in the eviction courts, um, they're called like impact. That's like a government, uh, like a subsidized uh, government agency. Mm -hmm. So when you're in eviction court, like the tenant, they would have to exhaust all resources. So, but that, yes. that agency was there to provide them uh, help with the, the back payment. So because of that agency, we were able to, to kind of survive uh, the third and fourth quarter of, of last year. But um, yeah, we're retenanting uh, the building. And actually the property is, you know, we're, we're on the verge of uh, getting it sold. Okay. So, is it in contract right now? Uh, it is, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Call me if anything changes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. We'll talk, I'll talk about it, you know? Yeah. Okay, so that's good that you guys, you know, for example, you bought it in the last three years, you did all this work to it, and you hopefully add a lot of value. And I'm hoping that you sell it for a great price. Um, what are you guys going to do after you sell it? Um, yeah, I haven't decided yet. It's been, we've been trying to sell the property for the last year and, mm -hmm. you know, pandemic hit. So yeah. the, the whole timing, uh, so I haven't really fully decided where to 1031 the money's into, mm -hmm. uh, honestly, that this experience out of state, you know, is, is an eye opener for me before, before going out of state, there was actually several people uh, that I talked to, including like a, a broker here in town. A really experienced guy. He you know, got his master's in real estate development from USC, uh, but he he had told me before, kind of gave me a warning before going out of town. Um, you know, the, the, a lot of his buddies that have done that in the past ended up back in Southern California, mm -hmm. uh, and you know I've heard this from other other people. But um, yeah, if you kind of compare, you know, the, the cash flow that you can make out there versus the, the, the appreciation you end up getting over here in Southern California. If you compare the two over a long period of time, uh, a lot of people end up doing better, uh, unless you're, you're, you're doing your know, value add stuff, um, you end up doing better better here in California. And you know, there's a lot of people that speak against that, you know, it's all about uh, cash flow, you can't bet on appreciation. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you can, you can bet on appreciation. <laughs> yeah, over, over long periods of time, right? So yeah. I think those people are probably not in California, probably in a different area, maybe, maybe the Midwest. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, so yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm right now. I'm thinking of bringing uh, the money back to uh, Southern California and doing more opportunistic type stuff. Uh, you know, there's uh, a lot of opportunity in, in the industrial. Uh, I think office as well, and and even even residential. I mean, doing things like you know, adding uh, like ADUs to to multi unit property to like a, a you know, triplex or a fourplex, um, doing doing that kind of thing. Uh, where you know, in an area that I'm able to get to and manage the process easier rather than a five hour flight away, you know, really putting, putting it on a uh, management's uh, shoulders and trusting them. So it's uh, tough. Yeah. Because when you look at like, for example, you look at real estate syndicators, they have to overcome these challenges all the time and they have to really find boots on the ground in each specific area. But when you find the right team and you know it's performing well, there's a lot of uh, potential to be made on these properties and a lot of good ad values, especially from the small mom and pop shops that you're, you're helping to you know carry on and build up the community. And it's really great because you can actually change the community and make it, make it so much uh, improved, right? And improve the buildings and the, the space. But comparing that to local California, like I do multi-unit investing in San Francisco, 
Bay Area, and it's great too. It's a lot of appreciation on long term, mid term, and it's money to be made. And that money can be way more than、um, cash flow. But there is some good opportunities to do cash flow plus equity. Not easy. Everyone wants both. I get it.、Um, out of state, it's mostly cash flow,、um, but the price points are completely different. Like Ohio, you can buy like a twenty unit for a million bucks. Here, you can buy nothing for a million dollars. You know, <laughs> less、right. than a single family home, a condo, maybe right. And the numbers are completely different. But there's always ups and downs, like you said.、Um, you know, flying five hours away, six hours away to see something, and you can't. Be there to manage the property manager all the time, and you have to trust their numbers. But you have to vet them really well. And even if you vet them really well, it doesn't mean they're always watching your building because they have so many buildings to manage. How do、yeah. they manage yours at a high level, right? Yeah. So another option is having a team, like having a local、um, GP on your team who is in the area. But it's also hard. Are you going to have a GP for every single city you're in for every single property? Not really.、Um, that is a challenge, but. If you're going from a 70 unit and you come back to California and you go buy four units and you know add values, 1031 exchanges, the numbers are different, right? And、yeah. the vacancy factor is different. The timing is different. You have to deal with rent control, California state rent control, right? And、yeah. permitting processes here are different. It's not landlord friendly state. Yeah. So that's something to think about too. Versus, you know. Um, you can also partner with other syndicators. You can you can JV into deals, right? With your、mm-hmm. funds, you can JV into a partnership and use your ten thirty one exchange as a JV partner or GP, right? Right. That's an option too.、Um, and just we would say you want to work with really good, experienced syndicators who have a proven track record of of、right. performing. Yeah. And then that would help make it easier too.、Mm-hmm. Um, but you have to see what works good for you and your、uh, business partner on that. Yeah. So going back and looking at、uh, a couple of things for appraisal and valuation, when you bought the seventy unit, did you use your appraisal eye and look at that versus um, um, a normal agent's CMA and like value the property? And how do you did you did you forecast it what it would be in the past three years? Yeah, yeah. So I, I looked at the uh, historical uh, operating statements for the last two three years and yeah, approached it the same way I would for appraising an apartment building.、Um, Yeah, really dove into numbers and looked into individual like line items to see if they made sense or if there's any room. Like say each expense item, if there's any room to to improve like、uh, efficiencies and reduce the cost,、uh, any room to capture more more value,、um, and then yeah, every every、uh, income line as well. You know, is there is there any、uh, is there any other income streams we can add to this to this property?、Uh, Yeah, I looked at it with the appraisal eye. Yeah. Okay. Good. Um, did you guys visit every unit in the seventy units too when you bought it? Okay. Big mistake. We did not. <laughs> we did not. It's、so. hard, right? How do you do that? Like, some syndicators and investors do not. Some even in Bay Area they do not. But some really good syndicators they actually do. Like I saw another friend. He goes, "Yeah, we're gonna do two hundred fifty-five units, four hundred units, five hundred units." We're gonna visit every single unit. We're gonna stay here for a month and make sure we hit every unit.、I'm、like, wow, it's crazy because you don't know what you don't know until you see it. So we we're gonna see it because we're investing your money into it. Yeah, yeah. And then they find stuff. They're like, hey, all these stuff that the seller did not know because they didn't see it either, right? They didn't disclose. They didn't know. Yeah, no, so, definitely something I would I would do in the future too. That's another you know good point, a good lesson there. And and I'm glad that you know it's a syndication is always in the back of my mind, but I'm glad、yeah. that we. Just this property with our own money,、exactly. so we're going to get learning all this at our expense and not at the investor's expense.、So. What did you find out when you didn't?、Uh, what did you find out from not seeing all seventy units? So there was a lot of、um, 
heating units that went bad one year and it was just it was I don't know twenty thirty thousand dollars worth of worth of heaters or, or maybe it was, it was the maybe it was the manager but uh yeah these wall heaters were not working during the you know, cold winters of Columbus so it was like yeah. an emergency situation where we have to get these fixed ASAP because it was I don't know like 10 20 degrees over there yeah <laughs> cold yeah, the manager would call. It's like, um, yeah, you're you have uh, two heaters that aren't working. That it's going to be fourteen hundred dollars each, and then we fix those. And then another next week, there's oh three, three more that tenants that report their heaters aren't working. Yeah, I think during the time the property inspector for for some of these um, some of these heaters, they they weren't even able to to turn them on for whatever reason. Uh, maybe they were they were vacant units. Uh, yeah, so it's 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 definitely was a was an oversight, um, you know. That now we're gonna make sure that every single unit uh, we take inventory of every major mechanical system and you know, condition of every unit uh, in the future. That's something I'm definitely gonna do instead of uh, you know relying on the inspection company and you know. Yeah, to, I don't even know. know how long it would take for an inspection company to inspect seventy units one by one, like fully, you know. Yeah, they must. Yeah, they had a team of a few people going to different buildings, but yeah. Yeah, and how 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 thorough are they? You know. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. That's a challenge too to see. Like, okay, great. You know, it's nice to have inspectors do it, and like, I understand it. But seventy units, how how many people you need? How fast can you do it? And how good can you do it? And, and the reporting too. How many pages is that inspection report for seventy units? You know. Yeah. Yeah. And then they're not giving you, they're not using software to aggregate the data to give it to you as a reporting tool. They're just giving you a, a inspection file and you're going to have to go analyze the file. Right. Right. So that's yeah. crazy too. I see some of those, um, some of those indicators, what they do is they have applications um, and they walk around with their iPads. They go to every single unit and mark down the unit, mark down all the issues they see from themselves based on their experience. And they put it all in the reporting tool. So they know exactly the whole building. And then they start analyzing the data, the cost analysis and inspection reports based on it. And they start running numbers even before during the due diligence phase so that they negotiate it with the seller and get a good credit back on the purchase mm -hmm. and like that's good but they spent the time to do it a lot of work you know yeah no it's definitely worth worthwhile to do that up front and um yeah it's, it's you know what they say you're missing these things is costly it mm -hmm. it really is costly <laughs> very costly so it can be you yeah. you win you win on the buys you know you gotta win on the buy and negotiate especially on a multi-unit at this scale you gotta win on the buy and understand fully the building that you're getting into because sellers don't they probably don't know and it's not their fault it's just because it's, the building's so big and they haven't had the opportunity or they didn't want to go visit every single unit there of their own property right yeah. So get it. I think one thing I learned too is like, you always, especially when you have a building like your size, you want to check all the sewer laterals to figure out every single building in the flow to make sure it's actually performing because that will, that shit comes up, you know? Yeah. You'll find it later. <laughs> literally, right? You're like, oh, that makes sense. Who who would think about looking at that in, in that specific way in this size, right? And for every unit. Yeah. But, but the cost already is, you know, you, you know, it's there. It's expensive. Yeah. Yeah, one of the things that also got us on that was um, we we're in a 1031 exchange, both, both of us. Uh, my partner had sold his property first. So we were going by his deadline. And uh, yeah, yeah. so it, everything was was very rushed. We closed probably, I think, the day, the day of his deadline, his, his six-month uh, deadline. Okay, good. He kind of closed, but I'm glad you guys closed on time. And I should have mentioned some too, uh, as 
I know I've read it before in the past. Like, you know, not, don't let the seller know that you're in a 1031 exchange. You're going to lower your negotiation power. But yeah, share <laughs> that information. So like after you know, we found all these issues and we try to negotiate like a $200,000 yeah. yeah. uh, reduction, you're like, no. And then we're just like, Okay. okay. What, do we, what do we do now? <laughs> we can do it, eat the taxes, or we just gotta, gotta push forward. So, <laughs> so that is yeah. true. And you uh, know, even though you need to know in the transaction just for the thing, there's other terminologies you can use, right? Like you can assign the rights, right? You never yeah. specify, never specify the assignment yet upfront. Yeah. But yeah, it's different. Commercial real estate versus the residential side is a little bit different there. But it's good, you guys. You know learning and being able to do it is a really good um you know reason it's even how i met you too because i saw you did 70 unit i saw you did clumps so i was like hey i want to talk to you about that learn more show our audience what's going on how the market really works how investing really works how it's not just all fun and games it's like struggle and challenges and humps you get through but in the end of it you still win you still learn a lot and you gain and hopefully you gain equity and income from that yeah. um cash flow even with the headache involved you know yeah so are you going to partner again with your um, friend to the next property? Because you guys are exchanging out, but you're going to exchange out together or exchange out separately? Uh, we haven't decided yet. I guess it depends uh, on the, the property we identify. If it fits both of our uh, current mm -hmm. criteria. You know, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, he might he might want to, um, he might have a different idea. Maybe he wants to do more cash flow. I want to do more value add. Maybe he has less time. Uh, yeah. Depends on the type of property and what's, what's going to be the scope of work on that. And what comes, comes about yeah and, you know in the process of selling the property too for example since it's a big building you guys are probably using commercial agent to do that and then you have pro formas and and hopefully you're still adding some skin in the game for the next buy to buy into it and then at the end of the day you guys are still making money right yeah how do you guys come up with that valuation right now based on the current market with covid and vacancy uh well i mean the the, bu the buyer of our property, as I understand it, they're not looking at our performance, our current performance. They're buying based on pro forma. Mm -hmm. uh, they're, they're coming in with their uh, value add strategy. Okay. So they're really looking at, at, at market rents. And you know, as long as the uh, property is, has a vacant or occupancy high enough where the, the lender you know, will, will do the loan. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it doesn't sound like our current performance matters as much. Uh, I think we're, we're we did pretty well, I and mean, we're 85 percent uh, collections. That's good. Yeah, That's really good. It's area. So yeah, and again, it's a lot of it is because of that uh, government agency help, right? Mm -hmm. So that's good to have because if you look at even in my syndications i'm in right now some some of them are lps but even then some even class a's are 85 percent right now in collection and collections and i get it but when you look at the performance, i was like wow this is going to be good in the next five years and i could see why even post covid i could see why we just got to deal with it during the whole time period to get there and that's okay you know um but some of those are really nice class a buildings like cool and then the b's and c's you see hit differently the c's and d's i don't i don't even touch d's it's you don't want C minus, you don't want D. It's just not yeah. it's a lot of energy and effort to do it. You want to, everyone wants to find a BC, you know? Yeah. So that's good. But, you know, it's kind of nice that you guys are going to be able to take this chapter, go on to the next chapter and, you know, whether and figure out like which uh, state you're going to go into and how you're going to reinvest. And it's, you know, fun challenges in every way. I personally like multi-units more than commercial industrial, just because mm -hmm. I think the vacancy factor for commercial and office space industrial is just way more complex. And, the time it takes, even with triple nets and TIs, it just so much vacancy and risk involved. I personally prefer 
multi units because you have to live in a house, right? No matter what, you have to live somewhere. And there's a huge population growth throughout the next 10, 20 years. There's going to be more population. So yeah. over time, it will just keep increasing. But like you see, office space, you don't need office space. You have work from home now. You don't need retail space as much either because no one's going to buy it. They're buying everything online, Amazon, right? Yeah. So those are different factors too. Industrial too is depending on what kind of industrial you're looking at targeting to help and how's that market doing? What happens right. tomorrow? They don't need it anymore. Like Tesla takes over everything or Amazon, right? Yeah, there's definitely a, probably not a long, good long-term play, uh, mm -hmm. but more of a quick like value add strategy and very location specific. I mean, there has to be some proven, uh, proven demand in the area and just, and again, I'm looking at uh, comparable sales every day doing these commercial appraisals uh, again all property types industrial office retail and they're constantly look at these so yeah if there's a proven you know one one, one trend in um here in southern california i don't know if you have it up in um, norcal but people were buying small office buildings single -turn office buildings and converting them to a creative office okay, and nice. yeah they would purchase these for like maybe 200 a square foot spend like a hundred like a hundred dollars a square foot uh, on the, on the on the um, renovation, and end up selling like four fifty, five hundred dollars a square foot. Just you know, these these creative offices with these exposed beams, exposed uh, yeah. beams, that's that kind of thing. But, yeah, so that was like a model in certain pockets of LA that you know, uh, I'd see investors doing. You just you see, I'd see the original sales comp, and then like a, a year, two years later, I'd see the same sale again, and I'd see this explosion in value. Or sometimes I'd appraise these properties. So it gave me a lot of exposure to like what what investors are like doing in these uh, areas. So definitely, I think it's location specific and you know market specific. Uh, yeah, calculated risk. Yeah, I like your calculated risk because the fact that you, as an experienced appraiser, you can also see this and you get to see the appraisals anyways, and you can see what's going on and how they added value to the property. And especially you, because you're going into the buildings, you can learn a lot more faster and see how the direct areas, the direct properties and how they're improving it. And you, you can find your own investments with that as well. And that's really nice to see. Um, a part of this too is like, what are the main things you would tell a investor now of buying to look out for and you know to invest in? Investor to look out for. Like what uh, issues should I be looking at? If I want to invest today and I want to buy something in California, Pasadena, or out of state, what should they be aware of and some of the challenges? Yeah. Uh, so. Yeah, I, I would ask that investor first, like what their what their goals are, because you know, I, I have people approach me and they like they want to learn in, in investing, but it's you know it's it's just such a wide, such a like, general question, like where where do I start? So it's really what type of investor are you? Are you seeking like cash flow? What's how much time do you have like from your your day job if you have one? Uh, do you have time to flip or whatever? And then uh you know after answering that question then it's really your your risk tolerance um so i mean if we were to you know talk about i don't know you know if you're if you're flipping or something like residential you know that that, that advice is going to be different now I, I think i think you know you could do uh, flips right now and at least here in in uh, in our market and it's relatively safe uh, it might not be been the same answer maybe like a year ago, like mm -hmm. right beginning of COVID. 
I, I, if I were me, I, I probably wouldn't have flipped. But, but there's just so much like pent up demand now. If you uh, if you flip, I, you're gonna you're gonna make money right now. And I wouldn't do anything that would be like a like value like add on square footage. It's something that would take like a year or something to get like permits and get that all done. I'd do stuff that's like in and out real quick. So if you wanted to flip things, you could do like three four months in and out real quick while the market isn't gonna like turn that quick. <laughs> you can it's still relatively safe. Uh, if you're going uh, you know, out of state, go go to the you know probably go to the red states, the, the states that have uh, landlord uh, landlord friendly um, tenant laws. Uh, and yeah, it, it, uh, it depends on what that specific investor wants to do, uh, the, the type of advice I'd give them. Okay. I think, yeah, and for me, the, the way I uh, talk to investors is that, you know, really when I look at property, whether it's California, Bay Area, or out of state, it's like, okay, investing. If you're going to do fix and flip, you got to think about multiple factors, uh, price points, areas, taxation, um, capital gains on the short sale of the property, like you're selling quickly. Um, and then another thing too is how much are you buying the property for? Are you really getting it under market value? How are you getting it under market value? Because where are you getting the deal from? Wholesaler, agent, is the agent going to give you the deal? Are you going to even win? Because in like Bay Area is multiple bids anyways. People are paying over asking. How are like hundreds of thousands of dollars asking? How are you going to create the equity? Once you get the property, if you get it, uh, how are you going to find contractors? Contractors are so busy right now and it's so hard to get them involved and if you get them they're going to charge you a high price uh how about permitting with COVID going on the permits can take multiple months you can do a cosmetic fixers and do that and or do things unpermitted if you choose to uh but hopefully you're just doing cosmetic fixing pa painting refinishing some stuff and cleaning it all up and making it nice landscape how much value are you really adding and at the end of the day when you sell it after all expenses and time how much money did you really make after taxation too is yeah. that worth your time or could you have done something else? Buy into a multi-unit, buy into a syndication, invest in stocks, invest in something, mutual funds, something else. What What do you want to do? And what's your expertise at doing it? And do you have a team? The team is the most important part of it. A team of agents, investors, uh, CPAs, lawyers, contractors, whatever you need to help you with your goal. Because if you don't have the four in mind, it's going to be really tough to do it. And doing it on your own as a single, a single person, um, first time, it's a lot harder, right? But if you have a team, then it's easier to get done. And once you have an established team, you could just do it over and over and over again. Yeah, yeah, no, that's a that's a great point. Having a team, and also um, having a mentor. I, I think that that's what comes to mind now. I, you know, I, I'm the type that uh, I want to learn everything myself. It's like learn every single component. But it took it it took a lot longer before I was able to start investing to get that um, comfort. But uh, I think having like a, a mentor, someone who's done the, the same thing that you're trying to do and uh, someone you trust to walk you through that, you can just shortcut so much time. And yeah, you end up making, probably make more money than by paying someone. Yeah. 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 I spoke to a lot of um, syndicators, investors out there and they're like, for example, we, and we, even in real estate sales, you talk about this, you can make 100%, 100% of nothing, still nothing, right? I'd rather take 50% of something and that something will turn into way more because I have the value of the investor, the mentor, the expertise, people who have done it many years. Instead of me spending one, two years doing it myself, learning all the mistakes, I can accelerate it into one month, three months, six months and do that. And they're going to show me and get rid of all the pain points to the best of the, their ability. Yeah. How much is that worth, right? That's probably worth more than the fifty percent you think about when you know. So having right. something of a little a bigger thing is great, like a million dollar property, or you can go ten million dollar property, right? I get fifty percent of ten million is better than one hundred percent of one million. 
Yep, yep, yeah. Time so, and speed. Yeah, they're looking back. It's like, but it, yeah, the more I was able to get fifty percent of something, but do do more volume, I, I think I'd be more, much further along now. Yeah, and I think good to the point is too. Like even for my syndication, right? Like I started it two years ago. Even in the last two years, I haven't done much of it to get it fully up and running, right? Because there's so many unknowns. But now, like within the last uh, six months to a year, I work with I partnered up with a big time syndicator who's done a lot, like hundreds of units or over seven hundred units and over. 70 million right how much faster is that going now and how much more stability you have and how much more uh, strategic alliances he has with a huge network throughout the country and to find deals that you would never find as a one-off investor syndicator you never can get access to all these deals they're gone and the, those big syndicators they partner with have six thousand units twelve thousand units things you'll never even hear of and to have access to that will make your will help your clientele base invest more and have a better performance and trusted network, right? To support you. Yeah. That's worth, uh, that's worth its weight in gold, right? Yeah, for sure. Uh, I'd agree. There's, there's a lot of, uh, yeah, sometimes we get caught up on the, the, the short term, um, you know, cost of something that's we're really not seeing all the intangible benefits. Of, <laughs> like you said, you know, working with someone here and there's just all these additional things we're not factoring in because we're caught up with the, with the money. Yeah. <laughs> so going back before we wrap up, I wanted to ask you another question about appraisals and valuation. How do you see the market right now with um, property values and you know people? For example, I know you do commercial, but for example, just looking at the space in general, how do you mm -hmm. see the economic market changing in California? And like, how are people um, when they're buying these homes? You know, the appraisals can't justify because it's historically, yeah, the price is this value, but right now in the current market today, not yesterday, today the prices are shooting up because there's so limited inventory. So how do people deal with that in terms of like, you know, buying property, multi-units or even single family homes? How do they, how do they handle that valuation part of it? Uh, you know, I, with regards to the single family market, I think you just can't apply logic right now in this, in this market. Uh, yeah, we will, we'll be working with the buyer and, you know, trying to determine what the what offer price is to submit on a single family home. And I'll, I'll look at the comps, you know, and I just, this has happened like over and over in the past uh, like year or so. Um, I'll think that the price should be this much based on the comps and even adding a little premium for that. And then, you know, we end up losing the offer and I'll, I'll, I'll see the property eventually sells and it ends up selling like tens of thousands of dollars more than what I had calculated. There's just this, um, yeah, the, the, it's, you can't apply logic because there's a lot of emotion involved in buying like a single family home and people, you know, they're not looking, these same buyers are not looking at comps and like, I want to pay like this much. <laughs> like when you want it, you, you want it. So yeah, for a buyer, I would just really like ask you like, how much do you love this home? You're going to overpay like right now, you're just, unless you find, you get lucky, you find something off, off market, you're going to overpay and you have to be okay with that. Like, do you love this home enough to buy that? You can't apply logic right now. You can't think like, oh, I don't want to pay this much in this this market right now. Uh, if you, you know, it's either you, you you like the you love the home enough to to do that, and you know you have the motivation to get into a home now, or or you don't. Um, very true. Yeah. Very true. I tell that to our clients too. Like, hey, you know, this is what it is. But at the same time, one thing we try to do is like we try to give them some future, not predictions, future forecast analysis of what we think will happen, unguaranteed, hundred percent. Just yeah. like, hey, this is a great area. I know you're overpaying right now, but if you look at it, all the area around your home has really great homes. And if you look at the age group of these homes, 
people are going to start turning. And when these turn, these bigger houses are going to add more value. These multi-units, because of this price range, the rentals will go up in the next X years because of this and this and this factor unguaranteed uh but that helps kind of feel comfortable okay i am paying a little higher price i'm not paying crazy but at the same time i can see the forecast of what might happen and it makes sense i'll take the calculator risk myself to do it as a buyer and then then yeah. they're happy with it but if you know you're overpaying number top, number one property and the, the area is all down you really know you're gonna lose on that one right you can yeah. kind of see that yeah okay cool um yeah other than that you know about to wrap it up I really appreciate you being on the show and sharing your expertise and knowledge going from, you know, single families, multi-units, fix and flips to 70 units and maybe back, but it's kind of cool to see from your uh, investing appraisal eye and an agent eye, how you have done it. And we're, I'm glad you're sharing this to the community. Um, hopefully they see, reach out to you. Uh, you're in Pasadena, but you help uh, clients everywhere, right? Mm -hmm. And yeah. reach out to you, um, ask you any questions about it, and hopefully um, look on to future investments and journeys, and maybe even JV partnerships on deals that make sense that we can, you know, learn from each other. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Th thank you so much for having me, Matthew. Um, yeah, it's been fun. Uh, <laughs> I'm glad it went fast. It's an hour now. It went really quick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so everyone, reach out to James Tran. Um, you see his email right here, james.tran at jtrei.com. For any questions on real estate investing um california or out of state ask him about that and if you have any deals for him send it his way send it my way happy to talk about that um see you guys on the next one thanks for joining us at the truth about real estate podcast and we'll see you in the next one have a great day see ya